I'm Beth Bennett, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Coming up, we hear about the benefits of omega-3 fats in our diets and why it's hard to get the right amount. To set the stage, I'll set some background on the structure and function of omega-3 fats from nutritional scientist Dr. Bill Harris, creator of the Omega-3 Index. Then, science writer Susan Allport will fill out the story. Susan Alpart is an award-winning writer who has written extensively on science. Recently, I read her book on omega-3 fats, the queen of fats, and was intrigued by these essential fats. We talk about why they're so critical to health and some of the unique evolutionary history of our species that makes them so important. Welcome to the show, Susan. I'm here talking to Susan Alport, who is a very wide-ranging author with very wide-ranging interests. But today we're going to focus mainly on a story that she developed or started developing uh, quite a few years ago now on the omega-3 fatty acids. So thanks for talking today, Susan. Oh, great to be here with you. Yeah, so you have worked on a lot of interesting stories, but let's talk about omega fats, and and that means omega-3s and omega-6s. So your book is called The Queen of Fats, and maybe you can talk about how you got interested in this story and exactly what those omega fats are. Yeah, it goes back. I was working on the book, The Primal Feast, Food, Sex, Foraging, and Love, and about how the search for food um, shapes uh, the relations between our sexes. And I kept bumping up against the omega-3 story, but I couldn't see how to work it into that book, Reese. I had no idea they originated in the green leaves of plants. And like most of us, I probably thought that they came from fish originally. So um, once I finished, it turned out to be, in my mind, the most exciting scientific story that a scientific journalist could possibly ever stumble onto. You know, it really is how the fats that originate in the green leaves of plants compete with the fats that are in the seeds of plants for positions in our cell membranes. And that whole shifting of the diet with the seasons as when green leaves are more available and then seeds are more available, how it helps to prepare the foraging animal for the future, for periods of activity and reproduction when the green leaves are more available and and periods of hunkering down and survival and putting off weight when the fats of the seeds are more available. Yeah, I love that idea of pulling in our evolutionary history that, of course, you know, over millions and millions of years, animals, including ourselves, would have evolved to fit into their natural environments, including the seasonal availability of foods. And so this is a really important point, how 
different food items contain different types of fatty acids. So for the listeners, I'll just give a few definitions that fatty acids are the building blocks of the fats in our bodies, kind of like amino acids are the building blocks of our proteins. And the omega fatty acids, they have double bonds, and that's just a joining between carbons in the chain of the fatty acid. Their double bonds are at the very end or one end of the molecule. And that involves then in our cells, how they get grabbed to be put into the membranes of cells. Those double bonds at the very are at the very end of the, they're at the tails of the fatty acids. And those tails wind up in the middle of our cell membranes. So that is where all the proteins in those membranes are twisting and turning and carrying out their various functions. And the fluidity that those omega-3s provide, because the omega-3s have one more double bond um, in, than, than the omega-6s. So they're more flexible. They allow for more twisting and turning of proteins. That's an important point about cell membranes, because people tend to think of cells as being like water balloons, that there's this sort of rigid membrane surrounding them, and it isolates them from their surroundings. And that's so wrong. The membranes are so fluid. They move around. They're always in motion. They let things in. They let things out. And so it's really important what you're saying about the fluidity or the plasticity of that membrane in our nervous system. Including in the brain, in the heart muscles, and all of the skeletal muscles, all of those fast-acting tissues are more dependent on, uh, on these omega-3s than the rest of the body. And talk about the history, two kind of parallel tracks in um, our understanding of these fats. There was the chemist side of the story. And, and I love how you actually introduced the individuals that did the work and characterized their personalities as well as the work that they did. So there were the chemists and the biochemists who worked on the structure and the they're sort of Byzantine um, synthetic pathways by which our bodies take the starting materials and then build them into our um, cellular components. And then there were the medical researchers that um, started with the two from, I think, believe from Denmark that went to Greenland. That was a really remarkable story. There wasn't heart disease up in the Arctic. And so they thought, well, let's go, let's go see what it's all about. And they went up and they did take the blood from, um, from Eskimos, they called them then, Inuit, we, we call um, the people now. And they took the blood and they um, analyzed it and saw that it had so much more of these omega-3 fatty acids in it. And then a later study, which I really enjoy because I spoke with both these researchers are the surviving one. And I spoke with the nurse that was on that trip to, um, to the Arctic. And she said they would take the blood from the Inuit and she noticed it didn't clot. It didn't, it, it took so much longer to clot than the blood when she takes it from her um, um, Danish um, patients. And that was the first thing. And, and now the, and now other, you know, uh, um, biologists have learned that they're, uh, that this really, the omega-3s really does help uh, prevent clotting. Um, so such that you don't want to have 
too many omega-3s in your diet and blood would have the bleeding disorder. She just saw that with her own eyes and she thought. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that people that are listening can make that connection too, that if you have too great of a tendency to clot, then you can generate blood clots that can then become break loose and travel through the blood system and lodge somewhere causing strokes and or heart attacks. And it's also really intriguing how the chemists characterized the synthesis because within our body, we take these essential fatty acids. There's two of them, the omega-3 starting point, which is I don't want to get too technical, but it's called alpha linolenic. And then the omega-6 starting point, which is alpha linoleic. And they sound a lot alike, but then our bodies do really different things with them. And the omega-3s end up in these very, what I think of as sort of protective um, endpoints, Mm -hmm. DHA and EPA. And the omega-6s end up in a more inflammatory role, which it's sometimes it's a good thing, but we can definitely get too much of a good thing and it becomes a bad thing. And then we have inflammation, then maybe that's what you were leading to in this other role of the omega fatty acids. So that's just one of many. I mean, if you look at these charts of all the different effects that these fatty acids have, it's just really Byzantine. And what we as consumers and healthy eaters need to know is that we just need that healthy balance and we leave it to our bodies to do the rest. We need to have um, that balance all year round because unlike hibernating or foraging animals in the wild, we don't want to go into that hibernation during um, the colder months. Going back to what you said earlier with the seasonal availability of different kinds of foods, in the fall when the seeds ripen, we and other animals would have eaten a lot of seeds, we would have gotten a hefty dose of omega-6s, we would have put on a lot of weight, carried us through the winter. Of course, like you said, we don't want that now, so we need a really good ratio of the two. So can you talk a little bit about what that ratio is and how we can get it these days? It's a ratio of about one omega-3 to three or four omega-6s. Don't we want more omega-3s than omega-6s? No, it isn't that. We'd want one to about four. And at that ratio, the enzymes in that are turning these into those longer chain, those those protective omega-3s, can really deal with the amount of sixes and threes and can put into our membranes about a 50-50 ratio of these longer compounds. Once that ratio of the threes to sixes becomes more skewed in favor of the sixes, then it overwhelms the ability of those enzymes to pick and choose because basically they're they're wanting to grab a three and they can find those threes if that ratio is that one to three, one to four. People in the Western countries, they have a ratio of one to 16 or one to 25, one omega-3 to 25 uh, omega-6s. And at that point, it just overwhelms the ability of, the, of those enzymes to pick those threes out. So that's that's very important. Now you'll you'll read in a lot of the literature that um, the foraging populations had a ratio of about one to one, but it's hard to really pin that down. But I know from the um, biochemists 
that they can see in their experiments that that's about the ratio which um, the enzyme can still perform as they're meant to do. And as in the end, what will happen is in our body and our tissues, we'll have about a 50-50 ratio of the long chain omega-3s and the omega-6s. And it has a healthy amount of all those uh, inflammatory and anti-inflammatory compounds. It just... Um, it also is the, the ratio that you will find in, in a country like Japan that has some of the lowest um, um, incidences of many of our, of our most common diseases like heart disease and dementia, all kinds of diseases that we just treat as um, the normal state of thing. But in a country like Japan, they will have very, very low incidences. And people yeah. might be wondering now, why is it that in the Western diet, like America, we have such a high prevalence of those omega-6s and those omega-3s are pretty unstable. And so they're not used in processed foods. It's much more, um, it's much easier to use omega-6 based oils and mm -hmm. then actually convert them by hydrogenation into hydrogenated solid. Because when you make processed foods, those are stable. They don't go rancid as fast and they they have a better um, overall characteristic for baking and for processing food so we just get overwhelmed in our diets when we buy food with these omega-6s and so you did a really cool thing you studied yourself where you changed your diet for a month and you um, saturated if you will your diet with omega-6s so can you talk about that that's a really great story this uh was to just see what what that experience is okay most of us have such a high amount of omega-6s in our diet that if we went on a high omega-6 diet it would you wouldn't see very many changes but because i had before i went on this diet spent maybe six or seven years working to get a high omega-3 diet and a high omega-3 tissue levels I thought that this might reveal some, some good changes in period of a month, but we were all surprised at how great the changes were. And um, I, I basically, I just switched. I usually buy high omega-3s eggs and have those in my, and use those for, you know, frying and for baking and everything. And now I just bought a conventional egg so that chicken had been fed a high omega-6 diet and laid a high omega-6 egg, which now I substituted instead of my usual smart balance peanut butter, which has flaxseed oil in it. I just bought the conventional peanut butter instead of using canola oil, which is a seed oil, but it happens to have a really great ratio of omega-3s and omega-6s. Um, instead of using that, I bought a bunch of omega safflower, sunflower, um, soybean, uh, I can't remember what the other oils, and I mixed them all together because I didn't want this to be about one seed oil, you know, that was bad. I just wanted it just to show that the high omega-6 
seed oils instead of my usual um, high omega-3 butters, which you can get by buying any sort of grass-fed butter, then I just bought the conventional butter. So those are the changes I made, basically. I left the bread the same and the pasta is the same. Those don't uh, have a lot of fat in them. And at the end of the month, the person who was analyzing me said, what? What have you done? And then the percentage of fat in the body didn't allow myself to gain weight. I'm just one of these, you know, women, I know how important it is to maintain a healthy weight. And I know how hard it is to take off those pounds. So only put on a half a pound, which was all on my stomach, which is really indicative of this health related um, index Belly fat is the worst kind of fat for long-term health. So that's really telling that that's where. That's exactly where it was. It was so unpleasant. But then there were all those other changes, which if you've read this more recently, you say, you tell, I should have, I should have looked over at the article. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember the dilation factor because I have had that measured and I, that, so that one really struck me. And of course, they've measured your body weight and your BMI. I'll definitely link to the to the paper that you wrote on your website so that people can find more detail on that. I guess the, the one other thing I'd like to get in for this interview is just the, the role, the importance of the omega-3 supplementation in baby formula, because that was something that really struck me. And, and there were some ideas that came out of it that I wanted to... Um, mull over with you but that was really amazing because that was determined way back in like the 1930s how important those fatty acids were for infants for infants they were one of the ones when when infants were being fed these formulas the first formulas that were created had that was before they knew about these essential fats. They didn't even think that fats were essential at that time. So didn't have any idea of how to create formulas. So the first formulas were created without either the omega-3s or the omega-6s. And babies really suffered from that. I mean, the first indication was eczema and and people realized immediately there was something wrong with those with those formulas and started adding but but the problem was that the first essential fat to be known to be essential were omega 6s so they added a lot of omega 6s to those formulas and fixed that problem with eczema it was only later that omega 3s were found to be essential And by that time, you know, there was resistance now to figuring out how to now make the formulas have those omega-3s in them. So let's go back, though, because when, when humans were foraging animals and out Um, eating their greens and eating the animals that had eaten greens in turn, the breast milk of healthy foraging women would have been packed with omega. That's where we should be at. But then it was this whole long period where people thought, oh, we can create something better than breast milk. And they 
thought to provide a more professional way of child rearing with uh, formula feeding and make a healthier baby. But they completely missed the mark because, as I said, they hadn't identified the essentialness of the omega-6s and the omega-3s. And now they're still struggling to get that right balance in formulas. So mothers should really know that the best food for their infants is having breast milk from a healthily well-nourished mother, um, because there are very few formulas that really do mimic um, breast milk from a well-nourished woman. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. And then, you know, extrapolating from that, I kind of wonder when babies are weaned and put on the standard American diet, again, they get that skewed ratio of way too many omega-6s. And it, it just strikes me that maybe there's a correlation between the um, huge rise in things like ADHD and anxiety disorders in children and adolescents. There's a connection between those phenomena and their diets. I can't I can't say it enough, you know, so, so important. It's so important for every tissue in our body. But as I said before, particularly our fastest acting tissues, including our brain. Well, that is such a good note to leave it on, Susan. And so I want to thank you for talking. And I will link to your website where people can find your books and your recipe for breakfast cookies. Okay, thanks. That was author Susan Allport. We talked about omega-3 fats and their role in human health. You can find out a lot more on her website. I'll put the link in the show notes. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran, and I produce this week's show. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music by Weird Al Yankovic. You can visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and links mentioned in this program. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.